This is The Cinerealist, episode 320. My name is James, and I'm here to talk movies and movie lists and movie obsession with you for the next hour or so. Zach is still out of town. Hopefully you'll hear him next weekend as he returns from his trip to Africa and India to tell us all about it. One more week of guest co-hosts. This week, I have a great one for you. I have on the line... Joe Grabinski. How's it going, Joe? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Joe is the proprietor slash curator of an amazing Twitter account. (laughs) For those of you who are on Twitter and uh, kind of frequent the movie film Twitterverse, you probably have already heard of him. I'd be surprised if you hadn't. He runs the account Amazon Movie Reviews which is at A-M-Z-N, movie spelled out, R-E-V-W-S. Yeah, sorry for that. I, I regret, certainly regret the Twitter handle I chose, but I had, no, I had no, no expectations for it, and I don't have a good explanation for why I did that. But if they search uh, Amazon movie reviews, it'll obviously be the first one to come up, so... Yeah, well, I think um, it might have been smart because if you actually had Amazon's full name in there, sure, they they might be able to you know cause some headaches. I tried to be clever, like I had foresight and tell people, well, if I ever needed to change it to amazing movie reviews, I would be set. But I I, I can't <laughs> pretend I had any uh, you know forethought whatsoever. Well, I know there's also like a thirteen or. 15 character limit on Twitter account. <laughs> well, good. Now now I can say that's what made me do it. Yeah, so you, I think you slide in just <laughs> under that. But Joe's Twitter account, one, is hilarious, and two, is incredibly successful as far as um, like Twitter accounts that aren't associated with a celebrity or a particular film or you know any of those types of things. And so I thought it might be fun to have him on and uh, talk about his... Twitter's success and his process and all that stuff, and also uh, talk a movie as well. We're going to talk an interesting one. Excellent. Where Where are you located? So, uh, embarrassingly so, I'm located in uh, central Iowa. Okay. And have been for the duration of the uh, Twitter. So, yep, central, central Iowa. So, you're just an Iowa guy who loves movies, who decided... Hey, uh, this is interesting. Uh, I I don't know. I um, I have two brothers who are in the film industry who live in Los Angeles. Okay. So I grew up uh, in between them. One's older, one's younger. So their interest in movies rubbed up, uh, rubbed off on me. So I have had some exposure to, you know, the the film world 
as opposed to, you know, I, I can't fathom if I would have been a native born Iowan, which I'm not, that I, you know, <laughs> just, just, sure. just, just from how things seem around here, um, I, I, I have had some exposure to, to some of those things. So, yeah. Let's talk about your success first, and then I'm going to I'm going to deep dive with you on the process. Of course. OK. Yep. Uh, so over 200,000 Twitter followers and in a relatively short amount of time. Like I, I saw on Twitter that you started in July 2014. Yes. Which is just a little over two and a half years ago. So sometimes I, I see I see accounts on Twitter. They have, uh, you know, I don't know, even like 500 Twitter followers. And then you realize they've been on Twitter for 10 years. So who knows how many of those Twitter followers are real? For any of your uh, listeners who are, uh, they're probably pouncing on you. It's actually been three and a half years. The, oh, right. the success of it was wildly, uh, I, I don't want to say uh, top heavy, but I mean, it was 100,000 in the first four months. For a while, I considered, you know, to just in my own head, one perfect shot. I kind of considered a rival in the sense that, you know, they were a novelty movie account. And I have been well surpassed for a period of time. Um, mm -hmm. I was probably tweeting four times a day the first couple of years. And so, you know, um, I, I've had conversations with people before. I actually went on a, out on a date with this girl who works for a marketing firm. And she was telling me about how in all these things, you first, you grab the low-hanging fruit. And then you try to find niche, the niche followers, which I didn't agree with. I, my, where, what I'm getting at is I think I'm probably maxed out. Um, in terms of followers, for the most part, because you're kind of appealing to an audience that's making fun of everybody else. And I don't look at it that way. <laughs> but I mean, you clearly we're, you know, having fun with consumer reviews. So I'm not going to be able to tap into the general consumer base because they're the ones that the account's kind of about, if that makes any sense. Definitely. So for listeners who have never seen the account, can you describe what a typical Amazon movie reviews post is? Yeah, so my most wildly popular one that has just been, I can't even describe the places I've seen it, but it's a Wolf of Wall Street review that's one star, and it says there were no wolves in this movie. Um, so <laughs> right. that tweet, I, I've seen it was on the Colbert show, or maybe no, it was on the John Oliver show. Charles Dance of Game of Thrones and Last Action Hero was reading some Amazon tweets from my account on some BBC show. Um, I've seen it on, I mean, I've just seen the actual screen cap of my tweet on men's humor all over the place. It's, the tweet has been seen like five million times. And um, that's kind of encompasses, as the account's gone along, like today I had one where somebody was disappointed by Coco because it wasn't about chocolate. Or yesterday, somebody was disappointed by Lady Bird because it wasn't about Lady Bird Johnson. So a disproportionate amount of my reviews are kind of become people who are confused by the movie titles and have expectations going into the film. But you also have people who are, you know, um, you know, a, a grandma who turns on Spring Breakers, the James Franco film, which I happen to love. <laughs> You know, thinking it's going to be a traditional Selena Gomez spring break movie because they're watching it because it's free on Amazon Prime. You have unsuspecting viewers. You have 
uh, religious uh, nuts, political fanatics. It's just, there's a wide <laughs> list of categories, but it's basically just comical consumer reviews. Sure. And, and you, the way you post them is pretty unique too. You, um, I'm guessing take them into Photoshop and kind of edit them down to their, um, most ridiculous essence. Yeah. Well, I have a, a, just an app on my phone that I use and, you know, frankly, that's never been addressed. I've, there's been probably 50 to a hundred articles written in a number of interviews. Um, but I would say, I would say 70% of the time the review is captured as is a lot of times I'm kind of a snob for formatting. So like in order to get it to fit, if if at all possible, I want it to fit in the tweet window that shows up on somebody's timeline. Um, if it's too big, I try to have it side by side with the movie poster. So I, I, I have the explanation in the bio that I don't even recall exactly what I say that, that some are edited. But it's I don't I, I I'm not necessarily going for um, the most insane part because unfortunately the funniest parts are sometimes at the bottom of a really long review and I can't use them. But for the most part, it's a formatting thing. Um, hopefully, I'm not sounding overly defensive, <laughs> but it's it's, no. it's um, the intent is to have it pristine and clean looking more than anything else so that's interesting i figured most of them were edited down and um i must i would assume that most of your followers don't care either way yes that's very true yeah i i i found out when i first started this i was super particular about things nobody ever cared about but i get backlash right. every day for one reason or another but the easiest way to tell is if at the bottom of the review if it says how many people found it helpful clearly i couldn't have condensed it to still have that part there so, you know, I would say a good percentage of them have been untouched. What what has always impressed me about uh, your tweets as well, beyond just how funny they are consistently, is just how much, um, well, I'm going to use like a, a really <laughs> Twitter term, how much engagement they get. Yes. Meaning retweets, likes, and replies. I mean, it's insane. I'm guessing you don't have notifications turned on. I actually do. Uh, but they max you out do. whatever setting I have as a max amount at 20. So, I mean, pretty much whenever I tweet, it's going to be maxed out to the 20 when I click on them. Uh, you know, I don't know if, how, if people are aware, but I think depending on your settings, you can only get so many notifications. So it'll just say like 20 plus or something like that. So it doesn't do too much to, you know, inhibit my life after I tweet, but Sometimes I'll go to the gym or something and be away from my phone for an hour and I'll come back and it only gives me the notifications of like verified people who retweeted it. And I can just tell you some of the most surreal experiences I've had, you know, Carrie Fisher pop up on my phone, rest in peace, or um, Seth Rogen, Ryan Reynolds, like it's stupid, you know, it's just like, it's just, (laughs) it's as a film fanatic, it's just been way too cool or too good to be true. It's been so much fun. The other day, just when I was doing a little bit of research for this, I went to your Twitter account and it. I went to the page where it showed me the, the people that I follow that also follow you, right? Yeah. And um, I, I would say pretty much everybody in my timeline that I follow that um, is a film fan also follows you <laughs> for the most That's part. Ex- I mean, it's, 
I <laughs> most people don't know this, but I had a podcast for a while called Facing the Critics. It was an Amazon movie review podcast. It was 30 episodes where I would interview the filmmakers themselves. Um, and I would read them reviews of their own films. And kind, nice. of, and kind of my premise was like a Comedy Central roast or like celebrities read mean tweets. But what I found is the filmmakers loved having the opportunity to respond to their own criticism because generally they're perceived to be petty if they do that without being asked. So that has been probably the coolest thing to me is, I mean, I had so many people, every episode was a filmmaker who I was a fan of. So it was like I had John August on. I had uh, Alex Ross Perry, Mark Pellington, um, all these people who I literally idolized who were happy to come on. You know, mo I think all of them followed it, so I was able to DM them. Um, hopefully, I don't sound like I'm humble bragging here. What I'm trying to express is that it was just, you know, with how much time and effort I put into this, having those opportunities to sit, you know, and talk to people or be remotely engaged with people that I, you know, frankly idolized has been, you know, that's what makes it worth it to me. Yeah, I mean, just a few of the famous people that I follow that follow you as well. At the top of the list is probably, especially in this moment that we're recording this particular podcast, is that you're followed by Guillermo del Toro. Yes, and I remember that day. <laughs> that yeah. was exciting. The director of The Shape of Water, which just won Best Picture at the Oscars <laughs> last night. Yeah, that was too good. That was too good to be true. Uh, Kumail as well, The Big Sick, is one that I can think of from last night. Um, but there's just yeah, there's been a number, and so many will you know will will uh, retweet or favor who don't actually follow. So that's still cool too. Yeah, you're also followed by A24, the movie studio. <laughs> they've they've retweeted some of their own films, which is really funny. Whitney Moore who you might not recognize, but she is the actress from Birdemic, which is a legendary <laughs> bad movie. I didn't know that. I, I, I love that movie, and I didn't even know that. I, I've watched that movie probably five times, so I'll need to make sure I follow her back. That's awesome. And just to consider the breadth of people that follow you, you're also followed by Rob Sheridan, who <laughs> yes. does the visuals for the band Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yes, and he's a, he's a fairly involved follower too like you know I'll, I'll see frequent favorites or quote tweets from him so you could just imagine for me like like it, it's I've grown accustomed to it over time but as like I said somebody in Iowa being engaged I mean I've, I've had some DM conversations with people like it, it frankly it doesn't get old when people you really admire are, are following you or engaging so it's been great and the last and most impressive person that I follow that also follows you. And and I say most impressive because this is somebody who's like um one of my comedy favorites. You're also followed by Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang. <laughs> yeah. And he only follows 180 people on Twitter. That's to me that's the most exciting part. Like again, I just just filter this through me being a nerd and enjoying this. Um, when Guillermo followed, he followed maybe 400 people, I recall. Um, you know, people like Neil Hamburger. Uh, I, I can't. Oh, yeah. It's just like that, that to me is the impressive thing or the exciting thing for me is when they they're fairly selective with who they're they're following. So it just that's encouragement for me. Um, needless to say. Yeah, your your account is about as successful as I can imagine anybody wanting their kind of novelty yes. Twitter account to be. For sure, especially with a niche in film. 
Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about your process. Take me through it just a little bit. Like how um, how does it start? Like you you sit down, you have a few minutes, you decide you are going to go find a review, or where do you start with this? You, you can always cut me off or curtail me if I'm going on too much. But no, let's, let's go into the weeds. I want to go deep. Yes. So I'm a oversharer. So. About four years ago, I had a fantasy baseball podcast with some of my friends and a fantasy baseball website. Um, and um, I had gone through a divorce around that time. So it had kind of, I have children and stuff. Um, I have two children. And so that inhibited my ability to continue with that baseball podcast. But by doing it, I had become accustomed to using multiple Twitter accounts. Like we had a baseball Twitter account. We had a podcast, a website. So I was, I had become accustomed to the fun of having multiple Twitter accounts on my phone. Um, you know, my personal, my baseball one, a- answering baseball questions. It wasn't very successful. I mean, it was probably a couple hundred, you know, 900 followers. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, I had to stop doing that for time reasons. And I had probably about seven or eight years ago, I had been, I always bought Blu-rays. You know, I probably would buy like 20 a month. Like huge, I would consider myself a cinephile. You know, I'd have 800 Blu-rays. I'd sell a lot of them, whatever, on eBay and crap when they went out of print. So I would, I would just literally, as a hobby, I would read these Amazon reviews and I would like email them to my brothers or people. This was so long ago that, I, you know, probably eight, ten years ago, Twitter wasn't as uh, prevalent. So I would just find these funny. And after I stopped doing my baseball one, I, I you know, I'd, occasionally stumble across these reviews. I'm like, let's just put these somewhere. Let's just archive these. There was no thought process involved, but I'd already been doing this with baseball. So I'm just like, I'm just going to put these somewhere. I I remember having a thought, "Eh, you know, maybe someday I'll have 500 followers or a couple hundred followers of people who really enjoyed this. And it was literally a place to archive these things. So on a Thursday, I had tweeted out, I think my first review was for the Raid movies. And somebody was mad that it wasn't in English or something like that. The first, <laughs> the first raid movie. And then, um, so I did it on a Thursday. The next day, somebody had retwe- retweeted one on Twitter. And then Gary Witta, who wrote Book of Eli and su- subsequently Rogue One, um, he had retweeted it to about 25,000 people who he had as followers at the time. So I had about 500 followers in the first day. Um, within 24 hours, some... I think his name is Jonah Carey. He works for Grantland. I had a funny Ghostbusters tweet my second day where someone said they didn't remember all the spirit elements in the film and gave it one star. So <laughs> long story short, within about 24 to 48 hours, there was 1,000 followers. Then BuzzFeed wrote an article. There was 7,500 followers. And then I was like, oh, crap. Like People were interviewing me and stuff. I mean, it was probably 20,000 followers in a matter of a couple of weeks. So I can't say I had a process before I started. I would just literally come across these. But then I'm like, so something I already enjoy doing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this a little bit more because people like it. And so I would say two pronged. The way I find these is the the secret one, the easiest way is Prime, Amazon Prime, free movies. You know, people who subscribe to Prime, you have, frankly, probably a lot of cheapskates across the country who are just turning on movies because they're free. (laughs) 
And so, right. uh, like I said, Spring Breakers was a great example. Um, I think Wolf of Wall Street was on there for a while. So you'd have people who would not read the synopses. You don't know what mental state they're in when they turn these on. And they're just like saying the most absurd things possible. So it would really be as simple <laughs> as going to the Pride movies, sorting by the most recent reviews and the one star reviews. And that's a gold mine. And um, another, you know, and then I, I, I try to be topical, you know. Since the time this account started, I've probably seen the number of reviews per movie reduced by maybe 50 to 75 percent. No, no exaggeration. So I don't know if in response to my account, maybe Amazon's not emailing people to review movies anymore or people are buying less movies or they're just they've come to realize they don't have to review the movies like they used to think they did. But Mm -hmm. um, I used to just, you know, I would go to the Frozen, the Wolf of Wall Street, the biggest movies. Um, new releases each week. Um, really not a lot of science to it. Um, I just, it's just, just what I do. (laughs) I'll just, you know, read five, five movies a day or something like that. So typically when you, when you decide to kind of dive in and find something, you got an itch to post something, um, you can find something for the most part. Yeah. it's, It's there just waiting. Um, you know, the first two years, I probably had 350 screenshots on my phone that would just have built up. I would just obsessively read these things. And it's probably why it's successful is because I have some weird obsession with, you know, I, I like to read the comments on Facebook articles. I sadly, I like to read. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, because, it, you know, it, it makes me mad. Um, but I, right. I, I just do it. Um, and so I used to have a huge pool of these and it, you know, it developed to the point where it was a lot of pressure. Like I put this pressure on myself to tweet X, Y, Z times a day, whether or not I could find something. Cause I, I wanted to maintain a standard of quality and consistency. These are all subconscious things. I didn't have a credo written out, but I've eventually mm-hmm. relaxed over time. And now just like when one of my kids at a doctor's appointment, I'll read for a bit. Um, or on a break at work, lunch break. And then if I have them, I have them. Today I tweeted two times, uh, last night three times because of the Oscars, but I'll go a day or two. And I don't have, you know, I've gotten to the point where I just enjoy it um, and just do it at my leisure, essentially. So if you find something that, that you think is uh, is pretty funny to you, is that typically just kind of your line? Hey, if this is funny to me, then probably my followers I, a lot of the filmmakers i'd have on my podcast and my brother's a filmmaker he um he made this movie skip trace this uh jackie chan oh, movie yeah. last year sure he was uh you know he was one of the writers on the film it's not exactly his baby but um he, when i have conversations with him and other filmmakers it's just basically like you i'm not a filmmaker caveat but it's just like uh, you have to do what you like. If you start trying to do things that other people like, you're not going to be successful. So I, for the most part, if I think it's funny, like I laugh out loud. People at my work hear me laughing out loud at my desk every day and they think I'm insane. Um, but if I laugh out, <laughs> if I laugh out loud, like uncontrollable laughter, I'm going to tweet it. There are some that are so esoteric that I cannot share that I personally find funny. But there, I do draw the line. I just like that's just that's just too weird, and I, and I don't know why I draw that line. <laughs> but there are some that are just like maybe my sixth sense of humor finds funny. But for the most part, my, that's my rule of thumb. If I don't 
there will be some instances where I don't think it's funny, but I think probably a couple years ago, I would tweet something I thought other people would think is funny, but I didn't. And then they would just fall like a lead balloon or whatever the term is. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. So there's definitely a line between something being too weird and it sounds like maybe there's a line between something that's just dumb. It's just it's just it's just so simplistically funny. It's just it's so it's just so simple um, that I I will find it really funny. I wish I could think of a good example. Oh, like I found a review for Click the other day, the Adam Sandler movie, a five star review. And the person wrote great movie dot 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 good fart scene. (laughs) <laughs> and and that was the entire review. And like, I think that's hysterical. And it would, you know, it would, I don't know. But I, I guess I draw the line at where I just don't think it's meaningful enough <laughs> to go out into the universe. But I still find it humorous. Yeah, I mean, you've got one here from uh, February 22nd about Jurassic World. I watched this movie four times before realizing I didn't like dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's another one that I personally thought was hysterical. Had no idea how well it would go over, but I yeah that that's the type of thing I get a big kick out of. I like it as well that where sometimes there will be a tweet that you put out where it kind of it 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 allows you to put in kind of a title for your review, but sometimes the title is exactly the only thing they put in the review as well. Give me an example. Give me an example if you have one in front of you. There's one for hidden figures where the title is "Flat Earthers No Space Is Fake." And that's exactly what they're. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. And then it's, it's like in the, the body of the email too, or in the body of the text too. Yeah. And those ones, yeah, again, I'm I'm probably a perfectionist with those, but those ones stylistically look ugly to me. But you know, I would prefer they you know didn't duplicate it. But it is it is a, a funny aside for sure. Yeah, that that somebody would even think to do that. Like they're putting <laughs> exactly. it right there in the headline. It's so short, and they're not all just like short screenshots of movie reviews some of them are actually pretty long i think it's rare that you do the longer ones but occasionally they're long. well this getting even what see this the getting even with dad one that macaulay culkin ted danson movie um i tweeted one of those a week ago it was three pages and i thought it was one of <laughs> my greatest finds ever and like my my sure. my mind was blown but then it didn't, you know, it didn't really take off. And I don't know if people don't know the movie or um, it's too big for them to retweet or I don't I don't know and I don't care. But there's really no predicting. Generally, if they're really long like that, they're just an eyesore. But I can't resist. And that is pretty darn impossible to format those into a tweet anyway. Yeah. And it seems like lately or it just might be that I'm paying more attention that people have been sending you these occasionally truthfully um are you saying like when you see me like give somebody a hat tip or something yeah you know those actually generally somebody will see they, they, they'll see it and they'll cc me in the replies um i don't really get some i used to get submissions via email but probably i've probably tweeted a couple thousand times i mean it used to be 99 percent of them were me but if if somebody i get a lot of people daily who are seeing me and something they think is funny on Twitter. And if I think it's funny, I'll, yeah, repurpose it with their permission. I'll message them first because some people will get mad how you use whatever they shared with you. But yeah, there, there are some submissions. Yeah. So when you're, when you're taking a few minutes and you're, you maybe find a couple of workable reviews, do you schedule them? 
No, no. Frankly, my problem is, is I'm so stinking impatient. And I have so much fun. If I have good ones, I'll tweet them. And then I'll, and, until I run out. <laughs> so like, right. uh, for instance, today I found that today I don't, I Coco and I can't remember what the other one I tweeted was. Um, oh, triple X state of the union. I found those back to back and tweeted them out back to back, you know, within a couple hours of each other. And, you know, if I cared or if this was a profession, I would stagger these things, you know, to ensure they're hitting, you know, spread out and stuff like that. But it's too hard for me to sit on something that I know is, is immediately going to get <laughs> be seen by tens of thousands of people. Generally, most of the tweets are seen 100 to 200,000 times. So if I'm sitting on something funny, I can't control myself. So it's almost best to, <laughs> you know, read them 30 minutes a day and tweet them as I, you know, one at a time. That makes sense. Does your family know about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Uh, I mean, I know your brother obviously does. But. Yeah, they are probably annoyed with it by now. <laughs> my my two brothers, like, um, when I when I started out, I think they found it humorous. I have I truthfully have no idea what they actually think of it. But for a while, I, I was probably running too like just running too many of them by them. Like, what do you think? Is this funny? What do you think of this strategy? Blah blah blah. And um, it's I I I, don't, I truthfully don't know what they they think about it. I, I maybe they're maybe they're sick of it. I have no idea. But uh, my parents my parents think it's it's a riot. So that's good. As guys in the industry, they probably find it odd that you have the influence you have. It's just such a weird <laughs> freaking thing. Like I go visit, right. I visit my brother in LA once or twice a year. Um, and we'll like go to new Beverly cinema and, um, and places like that. We'll go to the beyond fest, like a horror festival in October. And it, it's, it's a weird thing for me too, like being, a huge film fan and kind of mingling with some of these people. Like I don't really create anything. I don't really have my own voice because I don't editorialize in these because I think it's funnier when, if I was making the jokes, like I think that's why this is kind of one of the reasons it's successful is I put it out there and then that allows people to engage with it, to reply and make the jokes or to quote tweet it and make their jokes. I mean, many tweets will have, 20 to 100 people will quote tweet it and put a joke above it. And like that gives them the opportunity to make the joke. If I make the joke, I eliminate because there's only so many jokes you can make with each tweet. Like I if I make it, I eliminate hundreds of other people who would like to make that joke or I redirect them away from a joke that may have come to mind for them anyway. So my point being is yeah, it's awesome that I get to engage with these people, but I don't really have my own um, you know, I'm not, I'm not an, a creator really in, in the sense that, you know, I, it's, it's great to sit down and have a conversation with a filmmaker, but I, I'm just like screenshotting Amazon reviews. <laughs> so it's kind of, sure. if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. But it's gotta be, um, a pretty, like, I can't think of anybody else, uh, who probably lives in Iowa right now No, who could tweet and and there's a really good shot that Guillermo del Toro will see his tweet. <laughs> it, it, and it's so awesome to me, but you cannot imagine. I do not talk about this, which is, I, I really, it's fun doing a deep dive interview like this. Hopefully your uh, 
uh, listeners aren't, um, you know, losing it right now. But uh, I can't tell you, I don't even talk about this anymore in real life because people, they just give you the blankest stare. Because A, they don't really know what Twitter is, believe it or not, or, or they don't use it. And they're just like, what are you even talking about? Are you making this up? What do you do? Like, it does not, it's, I, I've literally had conversations, like I have a, a, a group of guys I work with at the gym and I'll tell them about some fun development. Like, I can't, t- there's so many crazy things that this has led to and I'll mention it to them. And I've literally had them just stare at me and not even respond to what I said. They'll just be like, they'll just look at me <laughs> And just like walk away because it's not even me bragging. I'll just be like, oh, I, I had the XYZ opportunity. And they, I, I think they just don't even know what I'm talking about. So it's just, it doesn't really come up in my real life. <laughs> like people just don't even get it. The few who do get a kick out of it, but. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, another question I had was, have you ever considered transitioning this to something else? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know what that looks like, but. Oh, yeah. I had a book agent. I had an agent in, in the United Kingdom. And we put together like a 20-page pitch. And she was taking it out to publishers while simultaneously trying to get rep- representation in the United States. And I probably screwed it up. We had one person come to a, come to us who wanted me to make it all movie reviews or call it like bad. Or no, no, call it bad reviews, not just movies. And I was kind of like, I don't you know, I think you have to, you're marketing towards like the pop culture geek crowd to the cinephiles, to the nerds, to the whatever. And and I'm like, no one wants to read a review for a popcorn maker and then a vacuum and then Citizen Kane. Like it's, to me, it's not right. funny. I mean, that, that, that could serve a purpose, but I think, I think that the fact that it's just movies and sometimes TV or whatever is why, is a reason why it's successful because I can tell by my, type my my followers i have a good sense are people are pop culture nerd types or pop culture people so i i kind of rebutted that essentially an offer to to have a book and then nothing materialized after that i don't know if the agent was rubbed the wrong way by i I wasn't uh snotty about it but i also had the podcast which i did 30 episodes and it was you know, really well liked, but I, I, it was probably a 30 hour commitment per week. I had to watch all their movies that the guests I have, and then we'd have, I'd have to find the reviews. You know how this goes. I had to edit. I had to, these are busy people like Scott Mosier, Kevin Smith's producer. And I exchanged like 40 emails and I just finally said, screw it. Great guy. But I mean, I I don't have that. (laughs) I don't have that time. (laughs) So uh, I had an idea for a party game app. I've had all sorts of things, but you know, it is what it is for the time being. You've still got the account, no matter. Oh what. yeah, yeah, it's so fun. Is there a particular review that you've tweeted out that maybe didn't get the traction that you thought it should, but you still hold it uh, close to your heart as one of the fa- one of your favorites? You know, uh, like. I, I had to do a couple of business insider articles where they had me pick my 50 favorite reviews. They did one in 27 or maybe 2016 and 2017. Um, and I, you know, I went back and went through, it's been almost four years. So yeah, I mean, I'll have a, for a peer, you know, for I'll ride high on a review that I just think is the greatest thing ever for a couple of weeks, but I don't know that any have sustained 
you know, sure. it, the, the, the initial Ghostbusters one, I really enjoyed that really took me off. Uh, okay. There's, there's <laughs> two that, yeah, the, the Ghostbusters one I already mentioned, the person saying, I didn't recall there being any spirit elements in this film <laughs> that, that to me, that, that took the account off. I mean, that, that was retweeted so many times when I had a right. thousand followers. And then there was one kind of the two touchstone ones aside from the Wolf of Wall Street. Actually, okay, there was the one where somebody, it was a Goodfellas review. And somebody said, the guy who used to come into my work all the time said he was in Goodfellas. I watched the movie and he wasn't. And he gave it one star. (laughs) (laughs) Just the absurdity of this guy working out of wherever he worked and somebody telling him he was in Goodfellas. There's just so much, like I get a, I really enjoy the ones where you just get a really funny, like backstory and picture of this person's life and what happened. And then they give the movie one star as a result. You know, like, I I guess I like the ones that just really get into the, I don't even know the term, the the psychology of the person who, who wrote the review. I get a lot of, I get a kick out of that. The weird expectation people bring to certain movies <laughs> yeah. that have nothing to do with the actual film. It just boggled my mind. And lastly, um, like I went to a video store in college. I think I've told this story before, but it was Hollywood Video. I went to college in Virginia, and I heard this guy yell at his wife and say, you mean you don't like torture movies? He was clearly like wanting to rent Saw or something. And so like, it was just so absurd to me, like yelling at your wife that she doesn't like torture movies as if you should like, I mean, I like hostile. I like a lot of, but as if that's a, like, come on, you can't expect your it people to like torture movies as a category of film, whatever. But like, I've had so many experiences in my life where I'm just perusing the aisles of the video store for an hour and hearing the most absurd conversations about movies or overhearing coworkers say things I think that are bizarre. And this account is just like the perfect, I find these things in the wild and get to share them with people that I just think are so absurd or funny. That's awesome. Okay. Well, that that was great. That's pretty much all the questions I have. Although I'm sure as soon as we hang up, I'm going to think up like 20. No, I, I really <laughs> want to thank your listeners though, real quick. If anybody's still along here for listening to my uh, rants, because that was a lot of oh, that was fun to discuss. Sure. What? Uh, one more question. Sure. What does the future look like? for Amazon movie reviews on Twitter. Like what's the what's the plan? The future is I'm going to keep doing it. I took two extended breaks um because again, I just I think I placed too high of expectations on myself um uh, to just you know to to fill that that uh desire people had for the content. So I still intend to do it regularly um you know, I, I've looked at some templates like there was this Jerry Seinfeld account that was I don't know if you recall this account. It was called like Modern Day Seinfeld or something where they would have like oh, yeah. plots for Seinfeld. And it just it just boom, disappeared one day and has been gone for four years. And there's so many novelty accounts like that that just disappear. And like in a way, it's admirable. Like I'd like to just go out on my own terms. <laughs> but um I also like the the fact that I'm not beholden to doing this for any other reason than that I want to. Like, I think a lot of those people have goals to get a book deal or to monetize or whatever. Like I, uh, like I went to go see one of my favorite bands last week and because they were fans of the account, I got to get on the guest list uh, 
and then just like hang out with them for like two hours before the concert. I don't do it for those reasons, but that's amazing. Macaulay Culkin has a new podcast and his co-host. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know if I should say this. I don't think it'll matter, but they're having me give them some reviews of Macaulay's films to read on their podcast. Nice. And so like, <laughs> what's cooler than that? Like that stuff to me is so freaking cool. And it's not why I do it, but it just, it just, it's opened a door to so many fun things like that. So the future is that I'm going to keep doing it. And if it ever materializes to something more great. No, I mean, uh, anytime the kid from home alone has a personal request, <laughs> that's, uh, that's something. Granted it was his co-host, but I'm guessing he ran it. I'm gr- guessing he ran it by him. So we'll see if that materializes. <laughs> Well, like one of your most recent tweets uh, about The Shape of Water, which um, was uh, just voted best picture at the Oscars. (laughs) Yes. uh, Just a few days ago, the tweet was, this film normalizes bestiality, (laughs) which which is amazing. They also capitalized film and bestiality, but not normalize. And I believe they spelt bestiality wrong, but I could be mistaken. I kind of confused some of these uh, reviews in my head, but. That's a great that's a great movie, by the way. I saw that twice theatrically and just adored it. But that tweet alone has one point three thousand retweets and four thousand likes, which is insane. It's obviously not slowing down. Yeah, I'll sling I'll sling some quick statistics at you just for fun. Like I've had a number that have been into the five to ten thousand. But um wow. when I was developing the book, I had to pull up the Twitter analytics and the tweets are seen. Five million times per month, the impressions. Wow. So if you think I tweet, I don't know, I'd say on average 20 times a month. It used to be much, much more, maybe 20 to 30 times. I don't, I, I'm having trouble with the math offhand, but what are we talking about? 200,000 times per tweet, give or take, or maybe, yeah. yeah. And easily. And I also did a, this is just my only humble or legitimate humble brag is last week, people, I was, I always see grumblings about, uh, the per- and anybody can can fact check this. The percentage of what you can do a Twitter audit to see how many are real followers, and it's ninety seven percent. So I wow. mean that's I don't even know how that's possible, but it's virtually no you know fake weird. It's just it, it's an engaged audience, um, and it's yeah the 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 interest. So, some people I know get sick of it. Like I will see comments like you're still doing this. But I mean, there's there's <laughs> there's new followers every week, so it's it's I I those people who are sick of it are far outweighed by every day. I see probably five quote tweets or five to ten people say, "How did I never know about this before?" So, right. So it, it should have some some life ahead of it. And you wonder about people who ask that, considering like. Like, what's the barrier to entry? Like, you just click unfollow. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> just what drives the, the negativity too. Is just I don't I I used to really let it get to me, but now I, eh, I just I just ignore it. So yeah, I mean, it's not like you're trying to get out of a gym membership and you got to like <laughs> yeah. you know fax it, something it, it, somewhere. It'd be one thing if they were it. like Patreon Patreon supporters and they right. were dissatisfied with what I was doing, but I'm just like. I don't like to spread negativity in the world. So uh, I'm a little bit nervous about the film we're going to talk about today. Um. (laughs) That's a great segue. I can tell you have podcasted before. (laughs) Let's, let's talk about mute, which um, 
I, I think when when we first started emailing back and forth, we were throwing around ideas. You hadn't seen the film. I think I had just watched it, and it was on my brain when I suggested it. So I was I was excited you agreed to watch it and talk to me about it. We're gonna talk mute. Here's a clip. Hey. Hey. What does a guy have to do to get some service around here? It's no table service. Are you serious? There's no table service. You're here. It's like three feet. Just give me a bunk of coffee, would you? That was Mute, a 2018 science fiction mystery film directed by Duncan Jones, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Paul Rudd, Justin Thoreau, and Seineb Saleh, with music by Clint Mansell. The official IMDb plot synopsis is a mute bartender goes up against his city's gangsters in an effort to find out what happened to his missing partner. Uh, so yeah, mute. We, uh, both Joe and I have seen it now. When, when did you watch it, Joe? Just a day or so Um, ago? I watched it over the course of Saturday and Sunday in, in two parts, in two parts. <laughs> Okay, it's a good movie. Uh, well, an understandable movie to watch in two parts, and it's and it's a it's of a considerable length too. I mean, it's about two hours and five minutes long. Which again, if if a movie's, um, I I don't have anything too overly negative. But yeah, I mean, if a movie if it's warranted, I I a movie could I love uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and that's like over three hours if I'm not mistaken. So, but yeah, a two hours and five minutes was a bit much for this one for me but well duncan jones uh who directed moon which is my ninth favorite movie of all time it's a good one it's a good one (laughs) yeah also directed source code world of warcraft which i intentionally have not seen because of the word on it and uh and now mute he also happens to be the son of david bowie duncan jones is correct so i was really excited about mute i mean i'm i think whenever uh one of my favorite a filmmaker who has made one of my favorite movies comes out with a new one even if there's like a a stinker in their past i'm excited because there's always the chance that they can uh bring it back around for me um and so i was very excited about mute when i first heard about it less excited when i heard netflix had gotten their hands on it just because that is quickly becoming a um less of a, a badge of interest and more of a <laughs> a huge question mark, I would say, these days. Uh, it seemed like at the beginning they were acquiring films that they thought could win awards and had they were aiming for like a high level of success with like these Netflix exclusives. Um, but lately, between the Cloverfield Paradox and now Mute, it kind of feels like they're looking for high profile 
despite maybe um, you know the high the high quality bar that they were trying to hit at the beginning. But uh, so, what did you think of Mute in general? Well, first, real quick, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had that same, I guess, revelation while I was watching the film last night, and then I really stepped back and I thought, okay, so we have this whole studio system versus Netflix model, and we, we're it, it, you give me all the money in the world as Netflix, and I'm like, what am I going to do to make good movies? So we go and we get Max Landis. And David Ayer for Bright. Max Landis right. for Right or Wrong is a hot writer in Hollywood. He's perceived as one of the hip young writers. David Ayer, Suicide Squad, a lot of good movies before that. Suicide Squad's not good. You go, <laughs> then you go get Adam Wingard of The Guest, and you're next, and you make, um, you make Death Note. Death Note, one of the most popular, cool animes. You go get Duncan Jones, who's, you know, came off of a maligned film in World of Warcraft. Duncan Jones, Source Code, great movie, Moon, a masterpiece. Um, and then what was the other? You know, Cloverfield, one of the coolest of, you know, viral, hip franchises out there. So the decisions on paper, I'm like, you're picking the coolest people out there. You're picking great talent. So I personally don't question their decision making or their I mean, you're you're picking guys who make good movies and who have made good movies or at least they're big talent. They're capable. Any one of them. I mean, Adam Wingard was in talks to direct one of the new Fast and Furious, one of the the newest Fast and Furious movies. Uh, Ayer's doing the biggest DC movie. So they're not I mean, they're picking the hottest guys who could pick what they want to do. So I don't. I'm starting to see like a little thought pieces about how Netflix is the new dumping ground for direct to video movies. And I personally don't agree. I just think it's probably a bad stretch. Who knows? I don't know how this is happening. Maybe the studio system has more checks and balances in place to keep these things from happening. These are just thoughts that were going through my head. No, that's a good perspective that I haven't heard. It also might be that some of these guys have these kind of pet projects that studios have said no to. Exactly. Like re- repeatedly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was supposed to be. Maybe for good reason. <laughs> that makes real. So what's probably happening is in order to woo, woo those talents, they're like, we're going to let you do what you want. And I guarantee you this ain't going to happen anymore. And a lot of people are probably you know, going to poo-poo it, the fact that Netflix is not going to be given as much freedom. But, I mean, like, look at Marvel. They take the great talent, the T, whatever, James Gunn, YTT, whoever, what the, the guy's name who made the Thor movie. You know, I, I think there probably has to be a balance between, you know, creators doing what they want, but with some checks and balances in place. Yeah, that that makes total sense to me as well, and I hadn't heard that counter argument um i like the idea of them allowing directors to do something that you would never see um like a a major studio who has to make us a certain amount of box office um see them kind of bankroll those ideas but i think um yeah hopefully this is just a bad stretch and they won't lose confidence in that type of stuff because in one sense i don't i don't think mute is a great movie (laughs) i don't think i'm alone in that opinion uh, and I think most people would see it and probably forget about it in no time flat. <laughs> well, the the first things I thought is uh, some thoughts I had was I really admire that these movies are out there, that they're really um, ballsy and that nobody could argue that Bright is not. I haven't watched it all, but 
bright and mute. These movies are bat, <laughs> you know, just bat crazy for lack of a better word. I probably should have asked if I could swear earlier. Um, that's fine. That that's something people always ask on podcasts, and they always can't. They always <laughs> can swear. Um, but so mute to me. For, my first thought is in a day where people can turn off movies like Netflix, you're watching a free movie. If it doesn't get catch your interest, you're going to turn it off. And mute. I don't know that it, it like like forty to fifty minutes in, and there was really no momentum building. So to me, it had some pacing issues. It had some tonal issues. Um, I really I, like Duncan Jones. Love the guy. But he's kind of had a law of diminishing returns. His first film was great, really good. World of Warcraft was surprisingly pretty good. I've never played the game. I'd give the movie like a six out of ten. It was better than advertised. Wow. But my biggest my biggest problem with this movie is just tonally, the performances were so strange. Like Justin Theroux and Paul Rudd, like I it, it I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be funny. Like something was off with the performances and the tone of this film. The look of the film was gorgeous. It's probably harmed by just coming out after Blade Runner 2049. Um, but it was the plot was hard to follow and the performances were weird. And that, that's my high-level overview before we deep dive and discuss further. It's definitely a movie with two, two faces wrapped in a Blade Runner blanket. For sure, you've got uh, you've got this one story of this guy who comes from a, a kind of an I uh, what do you not Irish Amish oh Amish yeah an Amish background played by Alexander Skarsgård and he's in love with uh, a mysterious woman that works at the bar with him um, and uh, and she he can't speak and she's in love with him for reasons that you find as the film plays out. So that's one story that's happening to your right side and to your left side. You've got Paul Rudd and uh, Justin Theroux, who are ex-army buddies, who uh, one of them is also AWOL from the military. And uh, the other guy, Justin Theroux's character, is also a um, prosthetics slash surgeon in the future. Um, And they have this weird... uh, I couldn't tell if they were former lovers. (laughs) Or if they just threw slang into the movie that also like was confusingly futuristic socially. I don't know. It was weird because one character calls the other one darling through the whole movie or, or something like that. I forget yes. What it was, but. And to me, it's just um, I'm all for choices. Like I don't. Are we avoiding spoilers? Yes. Okay. So there's choices made later in the film that. Literally in my entire life, I'm always the one defending like dark or absurd choices in films like um, people like Old Boy, for instance, or uh, Irreversible or movies where people think like films cross the line. And I'm always defending that choice or I generally find myself in my head defending it. And like people will be like, this film did not earn that moment. Um, hopefully, am I? Hopefully, I'm speaking around things enough for your spoilerness, or am or not. So I like t- to me. There were so many p- parts of this film that just did not feel earned, and I'm just like, that's not consistent. I generally watch films as if I'm watching something that actually already happened. 
and I'm not questioning the filmmaker's choices. I'm like, this is a story. This is something that happened in another world, another dimension, and they're presenting it to me. And I rarely find myself questioning those things. But I'm just like, what is this character's motivation? Why is he doing that? <laughs> what in the hell? And like tonally, like when Paul Rudd gets angry in the film, it's like, it doesn't, it just comes across so, it's like uncomfortable. And I don't think it's supposed to be that way. Like characters are either like they're comically over the top angry characters or they're angry and they're just, you know, it's an angry character, but maybe it was because it was Paul Rudd, but like just, it just did not come across right at all. And not like, what, what's the point of like, I, I, it's so hard to speak around things, but just <laughs> like, why Amish, you know, why this, why is, why are you repairing people? Like it, it just, it, it didn't serve any function to me. I'm with you. I, I think that's probably the biggest issue. And also one of the few things, uh, people can admire from the film. So things people can admire. Uh, one, the, the movie definitely swings hard and high. Yes. Right. Like it's, it's trying to do something here. It's not playing it safe. It definitely does a, um, a pretty decent impression of the visuals of the original Blade Runner. I would say yes. if, if like you mentioned, if 2049 hadn't come out last year, um, this might impress even more just because it wouldn't have been so close to an even better impression of the original Blade Runner <laughs> or the black mirror San Junipero. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. I'm, I'm like one season behind. Yeah. That's probably the only episode I like. I like that show. Okay. But that episode is stone cold masterpiece. And you have two like touchstone things in the last two years that imagery wise, this is just in the same realm as. Yeah. And all the acting is, even though it's weird and it doesn't work often throughout the film, they're trying something. So it's hard not to at least watch it and attempt to understand like why the decisions are being made. And, um, and I think if you go into the movie with those things, knowing those things, then you'll get something out of it. I, I don't think there's too many people that will watch this and think in their mind, all the comparisons to things they enjoy and it'll beat any of those things. Um, but it's going to, it's definitely going to try. I really admired the world building. I liked all these little elements like those guys with the black bottom half of their face and the white contacts. And there was a lot of mysterious things we're alluding to um, kind of like mm -hmm. David, David Mamet. Uh, I'm trying to remember or the movie he had Spartan where it had virtually no exposition and you're just thrown into this world. I really like that. And I think game of Thrones does that too, where like they, they just throw it on you hard and expect you to figure it out. And it's similar to what was done with Bright, which again, I never finished, but I really like the world building. Like if this was executed properly, there'd be so much for you to interpret and wonder about and could be developed upon later. So I really admire it visually. I really admire its intention. I admire a lot of the big ideas and things. I just, the execution was not there for me. Um, I really like the modern film noir, you know, this, this kind of filled the template of Chinatown or like Maltese Falcon, or I could be getting, I could, I could be misremembering some of these, but movies where, you know, the, I like the mystery element, the damsel in distress, um, those types of, uh, tropes, um, and genre. I like to see that played in a futuristic sense. It's something that I admired more. You know, 24 hours later, it was kind of a movie I wanted to kind of revisit. 
Um, whereas it was kind of painful to watch on first viewing. Um, but, <laughs> but to me, it's not, to me, it, it's got enough going for it that it's of note than as opposed to just being a, a colossal failure to never uh, look at. It's definitely very interesting. Yeah. And, and there's a part of me that like, um, I, I just wish it was, I wish it was better probably because of who directed it. If it was somebody I'd never heard of before, then, um, I probably wouldn't react to it the way, uh, I do. But since it's Duncan Jones and since I know what he can do, even if it's like source code level stuff, it's at least, um, you know, uh, a, a fun watch all the way through. And there were just times in mute where, uh, one, it dragged and two, you're just kind of like, like you mentioned, there's character turns that come out of nowhere that there, there's just no setup for that to actually happen. No. And so I I hate nitpicking things like that, but sometimes, especially when you're swinging big, it better be motivated somehow, some way. Well, you'd have scenes that were direct contradictions to what immediately happened before. And that's great. Like a lot of those times I'll just be like, well, this character is more complex than I know. I don't know why he's making that decision, (laughs) but it just, if you're doing that, it has to, it can't be gross. It can't be, I I just can't even describe it, but it was something I'd really never encountered where I'm like, really? Why? Like, no, like that does not fit anything that just happened before is all, you know, and if people, I mean, I can't imagine anybody's listening and and is going to want to. Maybe they will want to watch it, but (laughs) they'll know what we're talking about. All that being said, if you go to Netflix and you look in their movie category and you eliminate all the stuff that they license that they they did not produce, this is up there. Yes. (laughs) As something that's watchable, that's not complete trash. (laughs) And I I adore Duncan Jones still to this day. And we never know you know, what happened behind the scenes or how, you know, what the finished product is. But a quick, I, I will, I will say, I, and there are other people who share my opinion that World of Warcraft is an interesting, cohesive movie. It suffers from similar issues of the performances tonally don't really meld with the universe. Like, it's just like, uh, it's almost like, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong, but like watching American actors in a foreign film like it's it's just like it's like a it's like they were being directed in a different language like something just doesn't isn't coming across correctly but World of Warcraft is a kind of an interesting movie i would say yeah i've avoided it just because i heard how awful it was and um i mean you're you're not the first uh that i've heard a defense i probably should check it out just so that i've seen all of his films so i can have some kind of context. well strictly just to watch just just think about what you're watching you're watching a fantasy big budget movie based on world of warcraft by duncan jones like to me it's like just like this it's super fascinating um even more so fascinating than mute to me it's just like it's such a weird movie that has no re should not exist and it's pretty darn cool so so watch it more as like a uh like a like a cultural <laughs> experiment <laughs> I, i'm trying to think uh some some just in this day and age like 20 years ago if we knew the movies we'd be seeing, I'm always just like, like uh, the preacher show. I haven't watched on AMC. If you would have, if you would have ever told me there was a preacher show that I'm not watching, I would have told, called you a freaking liar, but we're just so inundated with everything. We've like the runaway show on Hulu. I liked that comic. I haven't watched it. Like there's just so much stuff out there these days that 
Like, come on. Five years ago, when Moon came out, if you said Duncan Jones was going to make a $200 million fantasy movie based on... I mean, my point is, is just watch <laughs> it from the perspective of it being cool that it exists. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. No, that, that makes complete sense. All right, let's let's uh, let's do like a, a, a quick spoiler chat on this, just so we can get out the things we've been holding back. So if you're listening to this and you want to hear spoilers, stick around till after the credits. Okay, well, on this podcast, we give uh, movies a five-star ranking, half-stars count, letterbox style. Uh, what would you give Mute out of five stars? I'm probably going to contradict everything I wanted to say, but <laughs> I, I would be hard-pressed not to give it two and a half or three stars for the simple fact of everything we've said. Um, it's not a one-star movie. It's not a two-star movie. It, 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 you know, if I watched this movie, uh, pun intended, on mute, it would be, uh, <laughs> you know, it would be indistinguishable from a great movie. So, you know, visually, um, I'd probably give it uh, two and a half, three stars, just for I, I can the fact that I can, it gives me so many thoughts and you know so much to discuss. I I have. That that's more interesting to me in art, is that it creates a discussion than it is the success, or you know the, the proper execution. So I'd give it two and a half, three stars. The way I do my skill is two and a half is like a completely average movie. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I'm probably not going to remember it, but at least you know it told the story and I I was engaged. Uh, and I would I would put mute a little higher than that like this is a three-star movie for good, me easily good um certainly not a masterpiece but definitely something that when i was done i was like why is my co-host out of town i have to talk about this with somebody yes and, and i've had to discuss so many films on my podcast and this generates more discussion so i admire it um so yeah i'm comfortable we can uh, we can pretty much agree on a three-star rating awesome so two three stars for Duncan Jones's Mute. Thank you for listening to this episode 320 of The Cinerealist. We appreciate your listenership. Don't forget, you can always send us an email to heyguys at cinerealist.com, R-E-E-L, with an S on the end. You can also uh, send us a comment, a question, a list suggestion, movie suggestion, any of those things. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash cinerealist. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Cinerealist. And you can find my personal accounts on Twitter and Letterboxd at YoJRB. Joe, where can the listeners find you online? Um, you can find me at Amazon Movie Reviews. I won't spell it out because you'll be able to find it. And then my uh, personal Twitter. Oh, I, 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 I wish. I, I think it's just Joe Grabinski. But it's linked in the bio of my Amazon is my personal Twitter. So find me there. My my personal Twitter is basically all musings about movies. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to engage with anybody. Um, and I and I just want to say I really like what you're doing. I've listened to a lot of film podcasts. And I like you have a radio voice to me. You have a professional execution. And I like the meld, the, you know, the blending of film knowledge. But in an entertaining fashion. So I, I it's. This is a much better presentation than virtually any film podcast I've listened to. So it was it was an on, it was an honor to be on, and it was a lot of fun. 
Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for coming on. It was awesome to get to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I, I love picking the minds of people who uh, are in the corners of film fandom. Yes, yes, me too. I mean, it's it's just an impossible place to get, I would say, um, when, you, when you're not leveraging, like, fame that has been bought. Of course. <laughs> or, or marketed. Um, and we're in a really unique time when uh, that's actually possible to somebody in Iowa or in Florida. It's so cool. And having the opportunity to get to deep dive and talk these things, it was a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Joe. And uh, I think Zach, uh, my co-host, will be back next week, possibly just for one episode, because then he turns around and leaves for three weeks again. I think he's going to Australia and, I don't know, all these other places. But um, so we might have Zach back next week. If we don't, then I'll have somebody else interesting, I'm sure. Not quite sure who that will be, but uh, it should be fun. Until then, keep it cinereal. When does it all turn It's over. Go home. Go. So this is spoilers for Mute. If you have not seen the movie and or you don't care about spoilers uh, or you care about spoilers, then stop listening now. If not, continue because... Joe and I are going to spoil the crap out of mute. Um, so the 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 thing that bothered me the most about mute, I would say, uh, besides kind of the broader like uh, artistic issues, was like the child uh, angle. Yes, I, I don't even know how to yeah. really say it. It came out of nowhere for me, <laughs> and it works to me. Like I said, irreversible. Horrible happenings. Old boy. Horrible happenings. But it works with the tone of the movie. In this movie, they're like lovers, but 
he likes his daughter, and then Paul Rudd's cool with it, and then Justin Thoreau has the chance to save Paul Rudd when he's dying, maybe, but says, no, I'm going to go screw your daughter. But then he repairs the guy's <laughs> voice box to apologize to him for killing the guy he just let die and is now molesting his daughter. Like, what? Why? Like, that yeah. is, I've never been so confused. And I don't understand what the motivation was with any of that. Yeah, and it was strange kind of how they they tried to make him a bad guy right there at the end. You know what I mean? Like in the last 30 minutes of the film, you you kind of I'm not necessarily saying you were in love with Justin Thoreau as a character, yes. but you he was at least a neutral body in in the in the in, yes. in the entire piece. And then about 3 quarters of the way, they're like, "No, he's actually like a a a child molester of sorts or at least a you know, he wants to be, he's at least headed in that direction. And then like having him turn the camera for Paul Rudd to see, like, it's so gruesome and morbid. And like, that's what I'm saying. The tonal issues of the, this movie is that was not an earned moment. And this movie did not establish that. And it just, what's the point? It would be one thing if that was like the crux of the movie, like the twist is that this person is this, but it just didn't really serve any purpose. It didn't. And it just like, really creepy for no freaking reason yeah and really it's it's the entire um it's it's how the the end plays out is kind of just something that the first three quarters of the movie was not leading up to no um and so i'm i'm all for twists i'm for you know plot coming at me in unexpected ways um you know those types of things i i'm i'm all for all of that but it just seemed like such a weird ham-fisted gross way to get those two guys on a bridge well and it's like it's like in, in, you have the, you had a similar <laughs> reveal at the end of split the m night Shyamalan movie and that was really disturbing mm-hmm. a little bit out of left field but it totally informed the character of this broken person who is now empowered to fight this creature if i'm remembering that and it served a function in the story and to me, if you're going to do something that's like such a trigger moment, like such a controversial, it has to serve a has to serve a purpose in the story. And like or repairing his voice box. Totally cool idea. Like, cool. I'm going to like I'm going to repair your voice box to apologize to me. But maybe like if you're apologizing for like killing a lover and that you like you just told that love you're you're you you hate that. You hate the person who you're wanting to apologize. So, I mean, maybe the character is just insane, but it, yeah, it, I've belabored the point, but those things to me were quite problematic. Sure. And then the part at the very end, um, which, uh, like, r- literally the very end when he actually uses his new voice box I in the just... water. It's so cheesy. Yeah. And, and and this is this is what the movie had. It had so many great ideas on paper. And th- but those things are so cool. A repaired voice box. All these concepts, a mute you know the a mute neo noir uh futuristic. All these things are great. But the execution wasn't there. And all the in all those issues. Like uh, someone who you don't hear talk the whole movie talking with a new like technological voice box like cool but it it just didn't work so that's it it got ugly at the end and i would say pretty much i mean the tonal issue the broader stuff that was there from frame one but it it had enough going for it that i could 
I kept engaged for the most part. And then, uh, yeah, by the end of it, it just, uh, that, that last half hour is, it's trying to just go all out and get everything it can out on the screen. And it does that. And your description of swinging for the fences, like, is so accurate. And, and generally in our art, the fact that it can generate a conversation, whether positive or negative, like The Room, which everybody knows, is a movie I could discuss for, I've discussed probably for 20 hours in my life with people. <laughs> like, just the, like, you know, is this Tommy Wiseau's, is this like an autobiography, like, is this an alien making a movie? The simple fact that this movie generates so much discussion is admirable. All these big things they threw on the screen are admirable. Frankly, if I'd listened to a discussion about it, it would make me want to watch it more. Based, I mean, I give it credit, and and I, I don't like to bring negativity. So, you know, it, it, so whatever you know, I admire what they tried to do, and if it didn't, if it didn't work for the the masses, it didn't work. But it's it definitely gets an A for trying or an A for effort. Is there anything else that you wanted to say during non-spoilers that we need to talk about? I don't recall. It just it it reminded it it reminded me of like my brother in fourth grade. We shared bunk beds, and he wrote he would write he he wrote like a script that was the kids were named after the kids from Home Improvement, but it was the plot of Three Ninjas, and it took place in a building with Die Hard. And like watching <laughs> watching this movie just seems to me like you know a kid throwing out ideas like he's Amish but he's mute and he's a gangster and it, like it's just like all the all these cool ideas but it just doesn't meld together. Yeah, it's like just pick two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, lots just lots of crazy things that have to serve a purpose for it to work. Right. All right, that was a lot of fun, man. You have a good evening. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Joe. All right, take care. Bye.